today's Bible reading is coming from um, 2 Peter chapter 3 and I'm going to be reading from verses 3 to 13. So 2 Peter chapter 3 starting at verse 3. Above all you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say Where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed of water and by water. By these waters, all the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. May God bless us today. Get all the technology working. Oh, and take that off. That's better. Well, it's good to be with you this morning and uh, to bring this important message. Well, I think it's important, but you think, you say, well, you're just a nerdy sort of a, you know, sciencey sort of a guy. You know, normal people don't, are not worried about that sort of stuff, about creation and evolution and and all that. I mean, uh, we just believe the Bible, don't we? Uh, but in fact, uh, we've got some slides happening. It's not happening. It's not, I can see them up the back. And uh, we, we had a... F- Ben's been working overtime to get the technology working properly here today, but uh, is it projecting to the internet? And the, guys, the guys at home can see everything, and, but we can't see anything here. <laughs> Creation and the Gospel is our topic this morning. And, uh, and it is my privilege to bring this really important message to you. And I found uh, when I came to understand these things, it to be very, very liberating. It was very encouraging and it gave me a real huge boost to my faith and confidence in God and his word. And so I hope that does that for you this morning as well. 
So McCrindle does research in Australia for, uh, regarding developments in Christian things and other things. But they found this report in 2017 that over half of all Australians, that's 53%, say that science and evolution is an issue that blocks their interest in Christianity. And in fact, over a third, one in three, uh, say that it blocks them significantly or completely. So either there's a lot of sciencey, nerdy sort of guys like me around the place, or this affects a lot of people that aren't like that, a lot of ordinary people. And I believe, I believe it does. This is a, a, a testimony from Kenneth, and uh, he said this, I was raised in the church until my teens before rejecting it and declaring myself an atheist or an agnostic. The creation evolution issue was the number one sticking point for me. How could I possibly believe the Bible if it is wrong from the very start? Thank you and God bless. So he was writing to us to say how much he appreciated what we had to share and how it got him back on track with the Lord. You see, this does affect everything because... It affects whether God exists or not. And if God doesn't exist, we, we, we might as well not be here. We might as well be off playing cricket or the golf or something like that. And uh, the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I imagine that all of us here believe that. A lot of people that don't go to church might believe that too, in some sense. But then they think the Bible can't be trusted beyond that. And uh, this teaching of evolution at universities and schools and things. I mean, what are our kids taught at school? Are they taught that God created things? Well, if they go to a Christian school, hopefully they will be. But what about the rest of the schools? What about the universities? What about when they go to the museum or a national park or watch a nature documentary on TV? How many of these things tell us that God created things? What's their story? Their story is very different, isn't it? It's everything made itself. There's no need for God. Evolution explains everything. You know, billions of years ago there was nothing and it exploded and here we all are. We're a cosmic accident. You're a rearranged pond scum. This is a story that's said over and over again. This is what we hear all the time and we rarely hear that God created things. But there's enormous evidence that God created everything and it didn't just happen as an accident. So this teaching of evolution is really the basis of atheism. This guy, uh, Richard uh, Provine, uh, William Provine at Cornell University, he said this, he said, evolution is the greatest engine of atheism ever invented. Now he was an atheist. So why did he say that? I believe he said it because he saw the effect of teaching of evolution on the Christian students that came into his classes. He saw their Christianity wither away. He saw them walk away from the church. And we see this in Australia in the census statistics. Now, if you don't grab graphs, if graphs leave you cold, you don't understand, that's all right. I've only got one, so, and I'll explain it. So this is it. This is uh, the Australian census statistics of how many people say they're atheists. And we go back there, we see that in the 1960s, before the 1960s, there were very few atheists in Australia and then they took off. Now, it was a bit of a change in the questions over the years, but basically you can see the strong pattern there that from the 60s onwards there's a rapid growth in, in atheism. What happened in the 1960s? Well, 
Uh, if you're in high school in the 1960s, it was the first time that evolution was taught to all students. In fact, I was a second year in New South Wales in what was called the Wyndham Scheme. And uh, Pastor Darrell and Rhonda were exposed to this as well. And this is the first time that evolution was taught to all students. Before that, you had to do senior biology or something like that to get evolution. So most students weren't taught it. But in the 1960s, it was brought in and taught to all students. And the churches were completely unprepared. Uh, many of them, uh, when you ask the pastor, he'd tell you, it was, well, you know, there's a gap there between the first couple of verses of Genesis and you can shove all the millions of years and the fossils into the gap and let's talk about Jesus. So let's talk about evolution and millions of years. How does that fit with the Bible? And uh, I could never see the gap there and I read my Bible looking for it, hoping it was there, but it was never there. And it never solved anything anyway, so the pastor didn't know anything about science. Sorry, Daryl, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> but pastors are taught theology, aren't they? They're not taught science. And they think, a lot of them think that you can just have you know, theology in a box over here which is separate from science. But science deals with the real world. Does theology deal with the real world or does it just talk about abstracts? And this is what people think today, that it's just abstracts, it's not real things. And when they think about the fossils and the rocks and everything and the Bible, and there's a big disconnect, uh, because the millions of years and the evolutionary story, uh, where are they? They're in the rock layers under our feet, and these rock layers contain fossils, dead things. And uh, the dead things, uh, the, the remains of once living things, are a record of pain, death, killing, disease, thorns, struggle for survival, suffering and extinction, over hundreds of millions of years before people came on the scene. But when God finished creating everything, he said it was all very good, as it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. It's all very good. So here's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. I took the picture myself. No, <laughs> of course not. It was all very good. It was paradise as we talk about it. But, you know, every scheme that wants to marry the Bible with evolutionary story, even without evolution, just with the millions of years, every scheme, and there are probably a dozen of them, but all of them have a fundamental problem and they put death and suffering under the feet of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Death, disease and suffering before people, which means death, disease and suffering before sin, before Adam rebelled, before Adam brought death, disease and suffering into the world. There's a fundamental disconnect here between this teaching and what the Bible tells us about the real history of the world. And the gospel is rooted in this real history in Genesis. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, there the resurrection chapter, we see that for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So we're all descendants of Adam. Adam fundamentally was the first man, first person to rebel against God and he brought death and suffering, disease into the world. That's why the Messiah went around healing people. It was a sign of the coming of the Messiah that he would undo what the first Adam did. So he healed people, raised, raised people from the dead and of course ultimately the first Adam brought death into the world. The last Adam brings life. Jesus died on the cross physically, bodily, because bodily death came through sin. He paid the price in his body on the cross. And because he's raised from the dead, having conquered death, and the death that came through Adam, 
So the last Adam undoes what the first Adam did. This is how it all fits together. Romans 5 talks about this as well. It's riddled right through the New Testament. And so we can't just sort of shrug our shoulders about Genesis and say it doesn't matter or it's a side issue. It's pretty fundamental to the gospel. Our sister ministry in Atlanta in Georgia went onto the campus of Kanazawa University there and they interviewed students. It wasn't hard to find students there in that part of the world who had been raised in the church. And this is Baptist churches, I might add, in Georgia. There's one in every corner, if you've ever been there. It's the southern, the southern part of the states. And uh, they, so it wasn't hard to find lots of students that were raised in the church. And then they asked, well, are you still going to church? Most of them said, no, why not? Well, it, all of them said it was something to do with the teaching of evolution that derailed them. The ones who are still involved with their churches, they found in these interviews that either their parents or their churches had taught them about these things. So they were prepared to deal with it when they hit high school, senior high school or university. And so this is not, not inevitable that our young people are going to walk away. But you know, surveys show that between 66 and 88% of young people raised in the church walk away when they get to senior high school or university. So is that something you'd like to see happen? You've already seen it happen, haven't you? We've all seen it happen. But it doesn't have to happen. That's the good news. And the good news is you can be proactive, intentional and making sure it doesn't happen. Okay, your children are already grown, but you've got grandchildren. So uh, we can be intentional about this. Uh, Pastor Tracy last Sunday afternoon was talking about uh, raising children. So our children have grown up, a bit late for them, but uh, grandchildren. So we went along, and it was very helpful. And uh, Pastor Tracy was saying that surveys have shown that parents are by, by far the most important influence on children. And so we have, this is good news, parents are the most important influence. And so we need to be the influence on our children. So not the teachers at school, but us. Not the church, but us. Parents need to be the influence on our children, making sure they understand these very important things. And one of the things we have, I make no apology for promoting some resources today because in half an hour I can't give you all the answers. I can't even begin to get started almost. But Creation Magazine is one of the great resources we have and been going for over 40 years and we had it in our family. as Our kids were growing up and they benefited from it. And it's so much better today. It's so much more colourful. And they'll pick it up and read it and be encouraged that what we believe as Christians is true truth. It's not just stories. And so we have a website too, creation.com. Very hard to remember the name, isn't it? Um, if you want stuff about creation, go to creation.com. We also have lots of other resources. Uh, by the way, the, the, um, the website has over 12,000 articles, over 700 videos, all freely available. So that's there for you to investigate. Also, uh, we have lots of other resources. Some of them are on the tables out in the foyer, out the front, out there afterwards. I hope it's not too cold <laughs> to have a look uh, at some of the resources that are there. One of the things that helps many people and helped me in uh, dealing with this was to realise that when we're talking about science, we're normally talking about operational science or experimental science, which is a wonderful enterprise which has given us incredible benefits today. I mean, the technology that we have. 
understanding diseases and things, understanding what causes COVID-19. You know, it's a virus and what we might do about it and all those sorts of things. This is the product of experimental science. This is doing experiments in the present, observable, repeatable, testable. You can do experiments and test things. But it's a very different sort of science, which is called historical science or origin science, where somebody finds a fossil, they pick it up and they imagine this was a creature that was to walk, walk out in the land and become our ancestor. You know, the, you know, the David Attenborough, you know, picks up the mud skipper and says, this is the Life on Earth series from way back. But, you know, he's been promoting evolution for decades. But, you know, did anybody see that happen? No. Anybody do an experiment on what happened hundreds of millions of years ago? No. How do they know it happened? They don't. It's a story. A very sophisticated story, but it's a story fundamentally. And it's something that they can't prove. It's unobservable, unrepeatable. Nobody saw it happen. It happened in the past. It's history. Now, we have a history book here in the Bible. A history book of the universe from the beginning, from an eyewitness, God himself. You know, I didn't, I didn't always believe what the Bible said. I had all sorts of ideas about how I might make evolution fit with the Bible as a student. But I came to understand that I needed to believe God's word, not the so-called scientists who's, who were infallible, weren't they? <laughs> no, God's infallible and he's inspired his word to be true account of history. And so science studies the repeatable, history studies the unrepeatable. Now, dinosaurs are a big thing that people think that's evolution, but it's not. Uh, dinosaurs were created by God. And dinosaurs were created on the day six of creation week because they're land animals. Who, who else was created on day six of creation week? Mankind. Okay, so mankind, dinosaurs, day six, creation week, and it was evening and morning, the sixth day. People and dinosaurs were created together. So that means Fred Flintstone cartoons were accurate. Yes. Um, you know, is there any evidence that dinosaurs and people lived together? There is abundant evidence. One of the clues is they were called dragons in the past in English. Not all dragons were dinosaurs, but many of them were. Here's a um, brass relief around the uh, tomb of Bishop Bell, who died in 1496, buried in the floor of Carlisle Cathedral in England. And this guy was a, a nature lover, and all sorts of animals were carved in the a relief around his tomb, including these. What might they be, do you think? They're pretty obviously two types of dinosaurs. And the one on the right there could be something we'd call Volcanodon today. You're about to say that, weren't you? Um, the one on the left there is a bit strange. He's got spikes on its tail and it's a sauropod dinosaur, one of the long-necked, long-tail types. It's a bit unusual. But there is one known today with spikes on its tail and it's called Shunosaurus. Uh, from fossil studies of fossils. Of course, they weren't studying fossils in the 1400s. People must have seen them. And there are many art forms that show this. So, but the story we get, of course, the dinosaurs were not created. They evolved along with us. In fact, we both came from worms. And here it is. Uh, once we were worms. Not that you have worms. <laughs> but once we were worms. Does that make you feel good? Very significant? What's the evidence for that? Well, they trick students into thinking there's good evidence for it by showing them pictures of Darwin's finches, for example. So look at the different short types of beaks here. That proves that finches evolved. Well, 
Uh, there's all sorts of, if I could see your faces, I could say there are lots of beaks here today. <laughs> Different length beaks and uh, width beaks and po pokey beaks and short beaks. But you're not evolving into something else, are you? See, the finches are still finches. It's trickery. That doesn't prove that worms became finches or that T-Rexes became finches, which is the latest fashion in the evolutionary community. And what's being found inside living things is just mind-bogglingly complex. Um, it's, it's just amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, you know, here's an animation of a motor that's running around inside our cells, um, spinning around generating a chemical called ATP, which is necessary for life. And uh, this uh, chemical... It's used for everything, muscles and all sorts of things. But this motor is incredible. A hundred thousand would sit side by side in a millimetre. There are thousands in each cell, especially muscle cells and places where you need lots of energy. But this, this, is, a, this, is, this is just nanotechnology like we can't imagine. It's 100% efficient as much as they can measure it. It's made of proteins, but to make proteins you need ATP. But to make ATP you need this motor which is made of proteins. And so... You can see the problem for the origin of life and the idea that evolution explains these things. Now, in the last 20 years, there's been an explosion of information about the nanotechnology inside living things, which screams at us that this stuff is incredibly, wonderfully designed by an incredible creator and a wonderful creator who made everything. You know, we should be saying, wow, how, how amazing is our God? But instead, they say, how amazing is evolution? It's a false god. And so real science like this speaks to us that evolution is impossible. The idea that random changes in existing information could create these things uh, is just doesn't stack up. So how do we explain the rocks and the fossils under our feet without millions of years? Well, the flood explains them. Noah's flood. We think about Noah's ark, and I used to think that... Uh, uh, Noah's flood was a local flood when I was trying to believe in evolution and millions of years as well as the Bible as a Christian, as a young Christian. But you think about Noah's flood and you think about the size of the ark and you think about why would you build a big boat like that to escape a local flood? You could emigrate. You know, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And if there was a global flood like the Bible talks about in Genesis, three whole chapters of Genesis, the New Testament talks about it, referred to in various places. Uh, yeah, we have lots of mud. Anybody been through a local flood, you, there's just heaps of mud. How much mud would a global flood there? Because the currents of water would be enormous and it would rip up the land and make mud out of rock in quick time. And as that mud was transported around and deposited as, a, as the currents of water uh, were fast and slow, uh, deposited the mud and it would create fossils like this horse buried with a fish. And uh, we see this mass kill graveyards of creatures and plants and things all around the world uh, because there was a global flood like the Bible talks about. This required lots of mud, rapid burial, burial land and plant, land and sea fossils together. And when we have our own examples in Australia, this is uh, at Richmond, uh, a plesiosaur. Uh, how was it fossilised? There had to be lots of mud. In fact, the mud is in a huge area uh, this is the, the red star there shows where it is out in western Queensland and many of you may have been out there but um, uh, this is in a, in a rock layer uh, called the Great Artesian Basin 
And uh, it's huge, this yellow area, this huge area, is sand deposited underwater. Now we're talking about uh, it, it, these rock layers run across whole countries, even many countries, and they speak about a global catastrophe, which is known as flood. This, this area, 1.7 million square kilometres, over two kilometres deep in places, and deposited by water. And we go down to the south here, down to, down to Sydney area, and if you'd driven from Newcastle to Sydney, you would have seen the great big uh, cuts through the rock on the side of the road. And you see there, when it was nice and fresh, it was very clear. It's not so clear today because it's all gone grey. But there's this cross-bedding in the sandstone. You can see the, the, the way in which the sandstone has been laid down is like this. Um, and you can see that this shows it was laid down under very deep, fast-flowing water in a manner like this. And in fact, they can calculate the depth of the water and the speed of the water by the size of those cross-bedding in the, in the sandstone. And this is a statement by a secular geologist. A wall of water up to 20 metres high and 250 kilometres wide coming down from the north has enormous, at enormous speed delivered tonnes of sand into the Sydney area. Well, megatons of sand. And that area goes right up to the uh, Carnarvon Gorge. Have anybody been to Carnarvon Gorge? Um, and Carnarvon Gorge is a testimony to the flood. But this is um, the Blue Mountains west of Sydney. And this sandstone, is layers there. You've been to the Grand Canyon in the United States, it's very obvious there in the desert environment. But here we find uh, evidence, if you think about the, the flood, at the, so the, the rising waters of the flood deposited all the rocks and the fossils and things, but as the water was coming off the land in sheets, uh, it eroded the land. And initially in sheets, it created the plateaus. So all around the world we find plateaus, uh, like uh, the Blue Mountains Plateau west of Sydney and uh, the uh, Atherton Tablelands, and there's just all around the world there's these plateaus and plateaus plateaus carved by the floodwaters uh, end up at Carvin Gorge. It's not so clear there. That you've got to think about how it all worked. But it's very clear here. And then as the water channeled, as it got down and had to channel, uh, it starts to flow into a bit of a dip in the land and then it all starts to flow and very rapidly then it gouges out the, the uh, valleys. And so this process of channel flow creates the valleys. And we could talk a lot about this. And so Carnarvon Gorge, in fact, is a part of this same uh, sandstone that you see down here in, in Sydney. Uh, and you go up to Carnarvon Gorge, central Queensland. And uh, it's much more complex, but it's a marvellous testimony to Noah's flood. And so you get these things in your mind. You go out west of Toowoomba and you see the Mises, or the jump-ups. You know, they're a remnant of the flood. And you get these things in your understanding. And as you travel around in your car with your children going on holidays and things, you can talk about these things. And Pastor Tracy was talking about this last Sunday afternoon. Talk about these realities that talk, connect with the Bible. And so um, so you can see as you travel around, you can, you can actually talk to your children about these things. Like Carnarvon Gorge... Um, 
I've been, he's been to Glenarvan Gorge. It's a marvellous place. But we just see down in the gorge a tiny part of it. When you step out and look at the big thing, it's, it's actually three different phases of Noah's flood as the water's coming off the land. So the thing is this. If the flood explains the rocks and the fossils, the millions of years disappear. And it's important that we defend the Bible's history and stand against this evolutionary thinking. This guy's an evangelist and he said, says this. He says, I'm an evangelist in Creation Magazine. I'm an evangelist. I go around and talk with people, one-on-one -on -one conversations. In my time talking to high schoolers, the number one answer I get for not being a god so they don't have to believe is evolution. 1 Peter chapter 3, we've been studying 1 Peter here at church. I appreciate the expository preaching. We're doing a topical talk this morning. Always prepare to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason of the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do we have reasons for our faith? Do we have answers to these questions? Pastor Tracy was saying that when one of their kids was seven years old, he asked, where did God come from? And do we have an answer to those questions? They're the sorts of things that we get asked all the time. Who created God if God created the universe? So our ministry has a, has a vision to see the Lord Jesus Christ honoured as creator and saviour of the world. And so we want to recruit you to help us achieve that. Is that a good vision? I want to recruit you to get you involved in helping achieve that vision. And uh, one of the things you can do to get informed is get the Infobytes, which is our email news, comes about every two weeks. And this is no obligation. You can unsubscribe if you don't like it. Uh, we also get told about uh, local events that are coming up that you can get further teaching. Um, and uh, you can sign up for it out the back. There's a QR code. Everybody knows what QR codes do these days. Thanks to uh, coronavirus, and we, uh, we all know about that. So you can do that. Also, can I encourage you to subscribe to Creation Magazine? So the uh, Creation Magazine, not free, but as uh, a fantastic resource uh, children children's section but children will read stuff that's not meant for them as well because they're pretty pictures and you can talk to them about the things in there questions are answered it's an effective witnessing tool you know give a creation magazine to somebody and say and uh, ring them up a week or two later and say how, how are you going with that magazine how about we have a coffee and talk about it you get a creation you get a gospel conversation started with somebody who maybe was not even interested because I start to realise that the things we're talking about in the Bible actually happen. They're not just stories. This is important. And uh, you can help us get the message out. This is a testimony, just one of many we have. Your writings played a big part in me becoming a Christian. My older brother got me a subscription to Creation Magazine about six years ago. So you can subscribe to Creation Magazine. And uh, for a one-year subscription, we'll get you... Uh, when you pay for it afterwards out the back there on the veranda we'll give you a free back issue to take with you today you also get the digital version which you can share with other people just send an email to somebody hey I have this great magazine and up to five different people and also you can you can subscribe for three years today and that you get the cheaper per issue and you get the bonus of three years and on top of that we'll give you a bonus of $15 to spend on whatever you like out there uh, on the tables there's also free material out there. There's brochures and things. And the number of these brochures about some of the geological formations around our country that you can, you can understand and talk with your kids about. And uh, as you see these things, like the Glasshouse Mountains, you know, you can talk about them in terms of Noah's Flood.
And, uh, and the Answers book, you can spend your $15 from your three-year subscription on the Answers book, which answers over 65 questions that people ask about these things. Um, like uh, where did God come from and what about dinosaurs and where did the water come from, from the, for the flood and what about carbon dating well carbon dating is actually a problem for their millions of years but that's, what's, that's explained in the answers book there's children's material like exploring dinosaurs with Mr Hib there's videos, there's DVDs, old fashioned DVDs but you can, you can also stream them from the website so I just want to finish by saying we're talking about here gospel issues we're not talking about nerdy science stuff we're talking about gospel issues the good news in the new testament that jesus came died and rose from the dead is linked back to what happened in genesis the bad news the bad news in genesis is foundational to understanding the good news in the new testament and so the evolution undermines this right from the beginning but it undermines the goodness of god it undermines the reliability of the bible it undermines our faith. It undermines our ability to share the gospel with those who are perishing because people are poisoned against believing the Bible by this doctrine of evolution. So let's get on board, get equipped, have answers and also raise resilient children by giving them confidence that what we believe as Christians is true right from the beginning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus that he came, that he died not leaving us to die in our sin, not leaving us to be punished for our sin, but having been raised from the dead, he conquered death. And we look forward to a new heavens and new earth in the future where there's no more death and suffering and pain, no more sickness. And Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus. Help us to share the good news for those who are perishing. Help us to raise our kids to know Jesus, to be confident in your word, and to be confident Christians. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.